Welcome to Let the Boys Kiss, the creation of queer ships, where we ask the question, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? This week, we'll be discussing Kirk and Spock from the Kelvin timeline of the more recent Star Trek films. I'm Maddie. And I'm Kelsey. We love Star Trek. Isn't this exciting? You love it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is going to be an interesting one, folks. I'm pretty excited about it. You gave a little bit of a heads up at the end of the last episode, but um, I did. There are going to be some thoughts in this one. We are talking yes. about the three, as I said, more recent Star Trek movies. So 2009's Star Trek and then Star Trek Into Darkness and Star Trek Beyond. Tell me... For people who haven't listened to our Kirk Spock episode, which you should probably go back and listen to our Kirk Spock episode, a brief history of your Star Trek past. So I'm a I'm a big fan of the original series and Next Gen and the original series films to an extent. Mm-hmm. But I watched Star Trek as it aired throughout the 90s, up until the first season of Enterprise, and then I tapped right out. And I will say... The more recent Star Trek has not appealed to me personally, mm-hmm. but that's fine. That's fine. Everything doesn't have to appeal to you personally, but you are a lover of the original series. You're a Kirk Spock fan. So yes. there are thoughts to this new Kirk and Spock. For myself, uh, which also we talked about in that episode. So go listen to it, guys. Mm-hmm. I had never watched any star trek original series before we did that episode so when i first watched star trek from 2009 i had seen zero star trek so i have i can provide the the lay person's opinion about these movies i think i don't remember i watched into darkness when it came out i didn't watch beyond until we did this i think that's the case for you as well true and yeah i'm very curious to hear if your perspective has shifted at all now that you've seen some original star trek or if it has enriched your thoughts about these new films i mean i will say it has enriched my thoughts but we'll i don't know if it has changed my opinion we'll we'll figure that out as we go along so how are we going to structure this episode i think it's going to be very slightly different from our usual methodology it was funny. I was thinking about the last time we we touched on uh, a J.J. Abrams picture, mm-hmm. which of course was our second episode, the Finn Poe Star Wars episode. It's and I think minute. we made a concerted effort for you to rein me in in terms of my yeah. feelings about those films. Mm-hmm. And I think you are going to do a little less reining in this time. We're going to be a little we're bit more letter loose, guys. Maybe a little bit more freeform. Hey guys, if I had to rewatch these fucking movies, you're going to hear about <laughs> it. Okay. <laughs> So what we're going to do is I have some opening thoughts and then we're going to go through each of the films and talk about what happened in the film to give us a sense what's there with Kirk and Spock and then any other sort of interesting gender or queer stuff that is or maybe isn't happening in each individual film. Mm -hmm. And then we'll do a little bit of a wrap up of how we feel about the, the nature of the Kirk Spock relationship through these movies and then get into the rest of our, our sort of normal outline of, you know, what are the creators saying? How do the fans and creators interact? That's we'll going to kind of be... about a little bit of thick, as we always do. ...the structure of this episode. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you love these movies, 
this episode might not be for you, yeah. honestly. <laughs> you might have a bad time. I don't know. But I had a bad time watching these movies. So <laughs> Turnabout is fair play, I think. <laughs> and we should say, people have asked us to do this. Yes. We are not just doing this to torture Kelsey. We are responding to requests. And to be fair, I did agree to do this. Yes. We didn't have to do it. No. No. And yet, I did agree. here we are. Uh, before we get to each movie, do you have opening thoughts? I do. So my process of rewatching these films was difficult. I was having a hard time. I will say I rewatched the first one with our friend Pritraj because we were just on a call one day and she sat with me and virtually held my hand <laughs> through it, which is very kind of her because she doesn't, I think, care for these movies either. So it's just a nice moment between friends. But I also in the last couple of weeks saw Guardians of the Galaxy 3 in theaters and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is interesting, right? Because this is an alternate universe reality that I think yeah. does not deal well with the fact that it is taking place in an alternate universe on like multiple levels. But in particular, I thought it was so interesting to rewatch the first Star Trek and then rewatch the first Guardians movie. Because I think they're doing really similar things of trying to establish an ensemble cast who we want to follow on theoretically fun space adventures. We talked about Guardians 1 on our other podcast, right? In the, what year would that have been? 2014, probably, in one of our big tourney years over there. Mm -hmm. And one of the things we said was one thing that James Gunn does so well in those films is he sort of multitasks with his scenes. So like a scene will be a fun action scene and it'll move character forward and it'll move plot forward. And one thing I was really struck watching 09 is like almost none of the scenes multitask. They are all doing like one or another thing. And I was like, this is wild because there's almost the same amount of people in the Guardians cast as in this cast. I think there's one more like main crew member than there is a Guardian. There's five Guardians or six main crew members. And like, I think you leave Guardians, and you're like, I know all these people, I understand their character, I know some things about their backstory, I know how they interact with each other. And the movies are almost the same exact length. Guardians is five minutes shorter than 09. And I think you leave 09 being like, I don't know, what do you know about Sulu other than he can fence? Mm -hmm. One of the things that I also realized we're watching these films is I think my issue with them is definitely intensified by the fact that I think they're really bad Star Trek. But I just think I don't like any of these characters and wouldn't if it was in a different skin. Mm -hmm. I was struck by how much Kirk reminded me of Maverick from Top Gun Maverick, which we talked about recently on this podcast. And I think you and I both agreed we're not huge Maverick fans. Nope. Hashtag Iceman was right. Iceman was right. It's the same. Starfleet is this regimented organization, right? There's processes and procedures, or there should be. But the way it's portrayed in these films, there's none of that. Like, nothing in this movie makes any sense from the hard science. I was telling you, too, before we started recording, like, there are just throwaway lines in this movie that if you think about them, you're like, wait, what? So there's like a supernova that will destroy the galaxy. <laughs> That's a big-ass supernova. <laughs> but that makes sense, too, in the film, because the film treats space like it's so small. They get from planet to planet almost instantaneously. Mm -hmm. So, like, at a base level, the writing is just sloppy. But I think as we get into the discussion of the, the characters and the character development, I can complain a little bit more about the portrayal of the characters. Because, like, there's problems with Kirk. There's problems with Spock. There's real problems with Uhura in these movies. And then as much as I think they tried to give some of the generally secondary characters, something to do. Like they give Chekhov something to do. 
it doesn't tell you much about the character, where they're coming from, what their motivations are, why they're here. And I don't know that it mixes well with the story that they're trying to tell. So like, it's just like the problems around this. I hate the production design of these films. <laughs> the color grading on the second one too is atrocious. I think we're learning you're secretly pretty picky about color grading. We just had a color grading conversation in a different uh, We did. In another episode of, of our Oscars podcast, I, I did not realize I was so picky about color grading. But apparently, if you make everything really fucking blue, I'm like mad as hell about she it. She hates blue, guys. Don't wave blue flags in front of her. Who knows what she'll do. And then, you know, the people will talk at length about the lens flare problems and the Dutch angles and the shaky cam. Like, it's just... Only problems if you don't like them, of course. But it's just it's nonsense. It's nonsense. the The choice to make engineering a brewery is like, what are we doing? To make engineering a brewery, they shot the engineering scenes in a brewery. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it doesn't make any sense as like an engineering place. Also, like when they first come on the ship, the ship's really busy with activity, and then later when they're in engineering, there's no one there, and it's like no one's working in engineering. Who works here? <laughs> There's, no, one there's no characters the when there don't need to be. There's characters when they need to be. People leave their stations whenever they feel like it. No one's a professional. I think you could you could cut Steve Buscemi into this movie a the million times. Is really the professionalism. <laughs> you could cut Steve Buscemi. <laughs> I'm the only goddamn professional. Mr. Pink should be on the bridge just screaming at people. <laughs> the problems are endless. I am H.O. But we should talk a little bit about the plot of the first one. And then Spock and Kirk, and I can get more into my specific complaints with their characterization. But, Maddie, tell me about the plot of Star Trek 09. Okay, I don't think we should get deep into plot for any of this, no. as we well know. So yes. the, the basic jumping off point for this one is we've entered into an alternate universe from original series Star Trek because you know, something, something time warp fell through a wormhole situation. <laughs> and so there was conflict involving original version of Spock mm-hmm. that spills into this alternate universe of Spock and makes various things happen. So Kirk's father, who was a captain of a starship, ends up dying when he wouldn't have died in the original series in an effort to save all of the members of his ship, including his wife, who is in the process of giving birth to Kirk at the beginning of the movie. So the two of them make it off. His father is dead. He grows up really angsty without his dad. And eventually when he gets to be a young man, Admiral Pike, who knew his father, finds him and is like, I think you have a lot of promise. I like that you're kind of a wild card, (laughs) basically. And I think you should join Starfleet. So he does, he comes into Starfleet, he gets into a little bit of conflict with Spock without meaning to when he does the Kobayashi Maru and cheats on it and Spock doesn't like it and it's a little thing. But as all of that's happening, new event, all of the cadets of Starfleet have to jump into the new ships and head out to investigate this unknown issue that Kirk realizes reminds him a lot of what happened to his father's ship. So, But Captain Pike doesn't realize, despite the fact that he wrote his dissertation on it. He's not that worried about it, apparently. He's not <laughs> thinking about these things. Anyway, Kirk gets himself on to the ship. They realize that it's the same guy who had destroyed the ship of Kirk's father. He is there looking for revenge against Spock, the original Spock, because he was supposed to help him save his planet and wasn't able to do it. And so this guy's whole family and planet died and he blames Spock for it. 
So he wants to find Spock and destroy Spock's planet and make him watch so that he will experience the things that have happened to him. In the process of this, Pike has to go over to the other ship. He leaves Spock and Kirk in charge, even though Kirk has no experience (laughs) at any of this. And basically... I mean, action, action, action ensues. Spock and Kirk get into a fight. Kirk gets kicked off the ship by Spock after Vulcan has been destroyed Mm -hmm. and all of Spock's, his mother dies. He gets his father out, but like most of Vulcan is gone. And he kicks Kirk off the ship. Kirk runs into original Spock. What a coincidence. Older now. They were been marooned on the same island or island planet but that's basically an, an island in space. And so Spock tells him it's really important that you get back on the ship because you need to be the one who's in charge of it. And the way that we can make that happen so that you can salvage your relationship with Spock and become the captain that you are supposed to be is by emotionally compromising Spock so that you can take over and Spock will step down. So yes, they run, they find Scotty, who is also working on this planet, (laughs) and science, 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 they get themselves back onto the ship, and then Kirk does make Spock reveal that he is emotionally compromised, Kirk takes over, they get into this battle with the big bad to get Pike back, and basically he's about to blow up Earth with this special red liquid that creates black holes and they stop him from doing that and Kirk and Spock realize that they like working together and they kill the bad guy and go on to their future voyages of fun time okay so the Kirk Spock moments of this it's structured as you know kind of like an enemies to friends situation the Mm -hmm. two of them don't get along at the beginning because Kirk is such a wild card and Spock is so very regimented. And so the first time they meet is when Kirk has defeated the Kobayashi Maru by cheating on it. And then he gets brought up on charges of academic dishonesty. Spock stands up to defend his thing and they have a little bit of words, but then immediately they're off on their mission. Yeah, so they get a distress signal from Vulcan, and then everyone has to be assigned to ships because most of the fleet is away, and I don't know where the rest of their staff is. Mm -hmm. And so I think the scene where they're being assigned to ships, again, is this very fascinating example of how poor the writing in this movie is, and also like is where the problems with Ahura start to crop up. Because Kirk wasn't assigned to a ship because he was on academic probation, right? Yep. And Bones ends up feeling bad about it and is like, I'll take you with me. What is he going to do? He hasn't been assigned a duty. This isn't like me and my friends are going on a space trip, right? This is an organization where you have a job. He's just going to loiter around the ship during a crisis. And they don't know yet that he has particular information that would be important to this mission, right? So that comes later. And, like, if it ends up taking more than one day, he's just going to, like, crash on Bones' couch. He hasn't been assigned quarters. It Like, it doesn't make any sense <laughs> to bring a random person to your job to just sit around in a crisis situation. Mm-hmm. It's nonsense. And then, yeah, I guess I should, we should probably loop back around on the Uhura issues after we talk through Spock and, and Kirk. So, it's yeah, just, the main arc of the Kirk-Spock, let's yes. continue. Yes, it was just, it was one, of, I was just watching, I was like, this it doesn't make any sense. But yes, so they get on the ship, right? And mm-hmm. Kirk figures out that he does have useful knowledge, which is this 
the fact that this is the thing that happened when he was born, this lightning storm in space. Mm -hmm. So he races up to the bridge, and that's when Pike makes him the first officer, right? As they're as he's going to leave the ship to talk to Nero. Yeah, because he has to Nero has asked for Pike to come aboard mm-hmm. and then he's going to leave Spock in charge and because he thinks that Kirk will be valuable because he has knowledge of the situation, he makes Kirk Spock's first mate. Yes, but he doesn't tell Spock that. I thought Spock was there. Spock's not there no. for that. It's Sulu's Sulu? the one who is Sulu who knows. So then later when it happens, Sulu's like, "He's the first officer," which honestly again, I think if you get kicked off the ship, you're not an inactive duty anymore. But again, there's no processes and procedures no. in this organization. They don't say Vulcan. Nope. Then Kirk comes up and he's like, we need to go back and save Earth. And Spock's yep. like, no, we need to rejoin the fleet. Yep. And he's Kirk's like, we don't have time because yeah. if we wait, then, you know, we won't be able right. to. And so instead him. of putting him in the brig, which again would be like normal processes and procedures, Spock kicks him off onto this planet where he is coincidentally within walking distance of OG Spock. Mm-hmm. And OG Spock, of course, tells him, hey, you guys are best friends. And yeah. he's like, oh, okay. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, we would be best friends even if we were completely different people with different life experiences. That's just inevitable because destiny. And so then Kirk is able to get back on the ship. He emotionally compromises Spock. And then Spock has a conversation with his dad where he's like, I'm angry. And his dad's like, that's okay. And then he and Kirk are cool and are also best friends now. Kind of. Yeah. They now have to go off and do this mission together. And so the idea is they're both now supposed to realize that there is something about the other one that is valuable that they don't have themselves to, so they can work as a team. Right. So they go to the ship, Kirk, needs Spock because Spock has a working knowledge of how the Romulan things will work because of the cultural similarities with the Vulcans. So yeah, they go on this away mission. They save each other's lives a couple of times, as is the way people usually bond in these things. So then by the time they come back, they're sort of like, I guess that worked out. We're cool now. And then it's the end of this one when they get, they have that like Star Wars moment where they all get awarded something at the end and they stand around and get their medals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do think that happens. Well, at least, Um, no, only Kirk gets a medal. Sure. But the Pike is there to be like, I'm passing my ship along to you. Yes. (laughs) And uh, now he wants Spock to be his first mate. And uh, Spock's like, great. I'm all for it. And now they're friends. So did this transition from enemies to lovers work for you? Well, there's no lovers in this. Sorry. Which that is going to be a part of this conversation as we go along. Did this transition from enemies to friends work for you? I mean, I think it's fine. It's very minimal character development, as you've already said, for every character in this. So there's enough in it where you get what they're doing and you can pick up on the like this is what's happening now i just don't think that you're here for the characters when you're watching it you're like it's action baby (laughs) that's all there is right i i mean again like the the problem one of one of the problems and this i think too right i i just watched spider-man across the Mm spider-verse i just watched guardians 3 and 
spoiler alert for Guardians 3. Do you mind? I don't I don't think you've seen it. I haven't, but go ahead. Okay. In Guardians 3, the Gamora who's in the film is different from the one that we've been following, right? Because she died in Infinity War, and then this Gamora is a Gamora from the past. Mm-hmm. And they do very interesting but difficult things with the idea that, again, if you had completely different life experiences, you would be a different person. Sure. And in this movie, they treat Kirk like he's the freaking boy who lived, like he's destined to captain the Enterprise. Comparison. (laughs) And they are constantly talking about the day his father died, the day he was born. Right? It's very Harry Potter. Yes. And that yes, he's destined to captain the Enterprise and destined to be friends with Spock. But Mm -hmm. again, if these people had totally different life experiences, that's meaningless. And if someone came to you, I don't, I mean, like, I don't know that I have anyone in my life who I don't get along with the way that they weren't getting along. But if a future version of that person came back and was like, we're best friends, I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. We'll see. Right? Like, you wouldn't be like, I guess. (laughs) You would know. (laughs) It's nonsense. You are from the future. But it's a different version of me. Right? Like, it's a person who, if they took any time to be like, so what was your life like? Well, it was like X, Y, Z. I'd be like, well, that's not who I am. Yeah, they're just moving parts and pieces around right to get the original crew back to where they need to be. Mm-hmm. And it just feels so inorganic. And so I think so much more inorganic than if they'd all just been like, assigned to the Enterprise. If they were all just the top people in their class. And so they got assigned to the flagship. Like I'm way better with that than all these little conflicts that they stick in and then resolve immediately to like mm-hmm. add runtime to the movie that are absolutely meaningless. <laughs> but yeah, Kirk overall, like I said, is a problem. He's like, if Maverick were also Harry Potter, and I'm like, neither of these are of interest to me. <laughs> if Maverick were also Harry Potter. I think we'll talk about it because they get here eventually, right? But like the thing with Kirk is he's not a genius, mm-hmm. right? Pike says to Kirk like, oh, your aptitude tests are also the score. You're the only genius in Iowa or whatever. He's just really competent. You're the only genius in Iowa. (laughs) He says something like that. (laughs) But they make make Kirk a genius. They make Chekhov a boy genius, which kind of ends up nerfing Spock, honestly, because that's sort of his role. There's a part where Spock asks Chekhov how quickly the black hole will consume Vulcan. It's like he would never need to ask someone else that. He's doing the calculations. Well, there's – not to – I know that it's your role to do the complaining yeah. and my role to listen to no, the complaining. No, please. I, but if you can join me on this complaint train, I will I mean, I'm, I will never be as fully on board of the complaint yeah. train. I just feel like for all of it, and we'll get to this, Spock doesn't have anything going on. Like, right. Spock, he normally would have a job. He doesn't seem to have a job. You're like, what's Spock's <laughs> thing? Because you're like, Chekhov, sure, is the boy genius thing. Yes. And then I guess Sulu's thing is he's kind of a badass pilot guy. Sure. And, but Spock, other than like being uptight, doesn't even have seem to have a role right. <laughs> on the ship. And again, this Spock too, they give lip service to what it means to be Vulcan, but he we never we never don't see him give in to strong emotions. He always yeah, does. That's true. So it's it's meaningless. He's basically a human man who's like, I don't feel emotions. I'm a rational person. Yeah. And you're like, and you're like sure, buddy. Anger's an emotion, bro. Yeah. But yeah, I don't. I just, I just think so much of the pivot of their relationship is future Spock being like, "You two are so important to each other," and it's like that's not the basis of a relationship. That's that's tell not show in like the worst way. Mm. But anyway, 
that's Kirk and Spock, unless you have anything else to say about their relationship in this one. I mentioned before that I want to talk a little bit about Uhura. Feel free. If we live in a world, which we do, where there's this long history of Kirk-Spock shipping. Yep. How are we supposed to see her as anything other than a no-homo lady when also her only role in the film is to be like, Spock, are you okay? Spock, I left my station to check on you. How are you feeling emotionally? Well, occasionally Spock. she knows a language thing. To me, sure. I feel like I know more what Uhura is there for than Spock. That's fair. <laughs> but I think like the worst moment of their relationship, again, is in that scene when they're all boarding the ships during the crisis. Yeah. And she's like, she's gotten assigned to a different ship. And this is, again, this like the movie puts in these weird little complications that don't need to be there, but fill space, I guess where she is leveraging their personal relationship that they're dating to get onto the enterprise. And I have so many questions about that scene. Not the least of which is she says at one point, she tells Spock, wasn't I one of your top students? That is funny. (laughs) What happened to the person who got assigned to the enterprise? Like what's their story? Well, the person who got assigned to the enterprise can't speak the language as well as Uhura, which is why they get shafted. I just like, again, like this is an organization without any processes and procedures in this yep. universe, but like that person would file a complaint when they found out, right? Like, it, like that's a mess. Like their, their relationship is so inappropriate to begin with just because it's like a student teacher mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. But like that scene is, it's so bad. It's so bad. But yeah, so much of this film is her leaving her station when she's supposed to be working to check on Spock emotionally. And you're like, he's sit really at going your seat. Through it. <laughs> you're at work. <laughs> well, this is also why it's not a great idea for them to be in a relationship. I'm because they you. are distracted from their work. <laughs> it's really bad. They shouldn't be on the ship together. No. She leaves her post to go down with him to the transporter room right before he's leaving at the end to kiss him. And then she has to run back to her station. And it's like, how are you doing this? (laughs) HR nightmares. They all should be fired. (laughs) And they would be fired if they didn't save the galaxy. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah, the the one of his best students is like, what a weird choice to not be like, aren't I your your best student? student. Yeah, that is weird. (laughs) Because the the point of it, and I understand why you have an issue with it, certainly, but the point of it is not to be like, oh, she's wheedling this spot she doesn't deserve from him because they're together. The text of it is, I deserve this spot. And he's like, you're right, you deserve the spot, but I didn't put you there because I wanted to avoid looking like I put you there because we're together. So instead I put you elsewhere. But now it's I will a problem either that. way. There's no way to avoid a conflict of interest. Fully agree, but I do think it's interesting that she says one of your best. Right, which means a different <laughs> top student got booted. I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> Again, cut in Mr. Pink. Am I the only professional here? Yep. But I do think the main issue with what's going on with the horror in these is that she is so very clearly a no homo lady. Yes. Which is a bummer. Right. Similarly, I don't understand why she's in love with him because he sucks. Well, he just doesn't have much going on. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> He sucks. Why is she in love with him to the point that she's just mooning around? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. Weird. I don't know why. All right. Time to move along to Into Darkness. Con. 
Okay, you did the summary of Star Trek 09. Should I do Into Darkness? Sure. Okay, Star Trek Into Darkness starts off with our crew still being in charge of the flagship. It starts with them on a away mission, which is nonsensical. For some reason, the Enterprise is underwater instead of in orbit, and Spock is going to die, so he's trying to set off this cold fusion device. Kirk goes out of his way to save him. They quote-unquote break the Prime Directive trying to save Spock, despite the fact the entire mission has broken the Prime Directive. So it doesn't make any sense. Anyway, they get back to Earth. Pike demotes Kirk because Spock put into his report the truth. And Kirk is like, how dare you? What a betrayal for you to tell the truth about my rule breaking. I hate you now. And (laughs) and Spock's got assigned to a different ship. But then in the next scene, like all the conflict in these movies, Pike is like, I'll make you my first officer. Don't worry about it. We're best friends again. I love you mm-hmm. like a son. And Kirk's like, I guess I love you like a son, too, even though I don't know that that was well established in the previous like movies. A, like a father, presumably. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> you want to love him like a son? I don't know. Maybe. It's a very complicated relationship. <laughs> like a brother. Like a Like an, an uncle. uncle. <laughs> like a cousin. Anyway, <laughs> they go to some briefing because someone's broken into an archive and Pike gets killed by John Harrison, the person who broke into the archive, a mysterious figure. Who looks a lot like Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) He truly does. And Kirk is, of course, heartbroken that his mentor, Pike, has been killed. So because he was the first officer, he's now the captain again, and he makes Spock his first officer. So I don't know why we did that whole rigmarole, because they're back in the same place they were 10 minutes ago. The Admiral decides to let Spock in on the fact that, oh, that wasn't a just an archive. It was like a secret, secret archive. And I'm doing secret military stuff. And this guy's a real loose cannon and he's going to mess us all up. So I need you to go and extraditiously kill him. And Kirk is like, hell yeah, I'm going to do that because I don't like rules anyway. And Spock's like... I guess, even though I'm supposed to like rules. John Harrison's used the transport beaming to go to Kronos, which is the Klingon home world, and they can't go as the Federation because we're not friends with the Klingons. And so they show up, and they're going to shoot these 72 missiles at him that uh, the Admiral gave them. And then John Harrison is like, 72 missiles? Don't shoot those at me. I surrender. Mm-hmm. And then it turns out he's Khan, and the 72 missiles are his followers from back in the day. And then Kirk had accepted Scotty's resignation because Scotty was like, I won't take these missiles on the ship without knowing what the fuck they are because we're on a spaceship in space. And if something blows up, it's going to be real bad. And so Scotty's on Earth. Kirk has told him, go investigate this thing that John Harrison told me about. And so Scotty does. And it turns out there's a big old ship that John Harrison designed for the Admiral who wants to start a war with the Klingons. Scotty found the big ship. They go back to bring Harrison to regular justice and then they get into a fight with the general. I think Khan gets control of the big ship. He kills the Admiral. He gets, he thinks his 72 men back, but really it's just the missiles. Why he didn't scan them for life forms when they arrived on the ship? I don't know. He's supposed to be really smart, but that's okay. Couldn't tell you. Both the ships crash on earth. And then when the ship is, the Enterprise is crashing, Kirk has to recreate the scene from the end of Wrath of Khan where he has to fix the ship in the radioactive chamber and he gets all irradiated. And then again, instead of it being a sad moment, it's a moment for anger. It's a sad moment in the moment. Spock immediately then turns to anger, though, and he goes, Khan, which is not when that happens in Wrath of Khan either. And because Khan's already dead at that point. And then 
he goes to have a foot chase with Khan on the street to catch him, to kill him, I guess. I don't know. And then McCoy, who earlier taken Khan's blood for reasons, has I'm decided. obsessed with how shoehorned in the scene is when they're about to go on to the mission. And he's like, what are you doing with that treble? <laughs> for some reason, he has injected a human's blood into a dead animal. And he's discovered that Khan's blood revives people. So he's like, mm-hmm. Spock, don't kill him. I need his blood. Now, could they have tried to use the blood of one of the other 72 superhumans who they already had on the ship? Who's to say? Unclear. We didn't try. So he, again, no conflict in this movie isn't resolved seconds later. He brings Kirk back to life. They refreeze Khan. And they're like, ooh, isn't war bad? Totally. And you're like, okay. And that's the movie. Did <laughs> I miss anything? The movie. I don't think so. Thanks. So for Kirk Spock moments, mm-hmm. there is a little bit of a structure going on here. So on their first mission, Kirk disobeys the regulations to save Spock. And Despite the fact that the entire mission disobeys the regulations. Totally agree. But in the text of what is going on, Spock is like, you know, they can't come save me because it would be against the rules. And Kirk is like, of course, I'm going to go save him because I'm Kirk and I don't care about the rules. I will say it's very funny. The pose Spock makes when he's about to die by lava. Yeah, totally. (laughs) He just spreads his arms out like, take me. Take me, lava. So in the beginning, there's this moment where Kirk is deciding that, like, hell with the rules, let's go save Spock. And he says to Bones, if Spock were here and I were there, what would he do? And Bones says, he'd let you die. <laughs> and so they're setting up this thing of probably later, there's going to be a situation where Spock is going to have the option to save Kirk or let him die or blah, 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 all of that. So there's the running thing throughout of Spock's mad that he broke the regulations leaving aside again that the entire mission the entire broke the mission regulations. Was breaking the regulations. Whatever. <laughs> and so <laughs> he Kirk is really upset that Spock doesn't understand why he would come back to them because he thinks that they're really good friends and he's like of course I would come back to save you. You're my friend. Why don't you understand that that's why I came back to save you? So that gets brought up and there's a time when he's like do you understand why I went back for you? And he says to Spock, the truth is, I'm going to miss you because they're going to be separated because they're in trouble, obviously. Why is he going to miss him? Because they're friends, Kelsey, and we know that from the first one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) They don't seem to get along at all. Well, they are. It seems like they've been functioning since they're on missions together. I'm just saying there's no scenes of them getting along. At the end of the first one, they're sort of like, guess we're friends now like that's them getting along i guess i'm just trying to list things that Mm -hmm. have anything to do with kirk and spock when the new science officer comes on board who turns out to be the daughter of the admiral there's a little bit of weirdness of spock being like why would you request a new science officer kirk (laughs) kirk doesn't know that he's done that because he hasn't which by the way is kind of the only time they talk about the fact that spock is supposed to be a science officer in any of these (laughs) That is the first time they mention, like, this is my actual job on the ship. Yes. Spock is having a little bit of a conflict with Uhura through the course of this one. And because she's mad that he was didn't consider her feelings when he decided to just stay there and die on the planet. Point and of order. 
in the previous movie, he was going to quit Starfleet, and it seemed like he didn't talk to her about that either, but neither here nor there. Point of order. Again, he's a really bad boyfriend. <laughs> it's true. He's not a good boyfriend. So then there's like some bonding between Kirk and Ahura about how annoying Spock can be, and he's like, sometimes I just want to rip the bangs off his head. She's like, yeah, basically. I feel that. And you're like, if you're so annoyed by him, why are you dating? But... Then there is, to get into the more specifics of people expressing their complaints about the mission. So Scotty doesn't want to bring the things on board and he offers his resignation and Kirk accepts his resignation, which is pretty fucked up because Scotty's our friend too. But then Spock, who also has been expressing his dislike for this plan because... Mm -hmm. They're just going to go shoot a guy from orbit, basically, and murder him. On a just a different people's home world. <laughs> yeah. It's against all of the rules of what Starfleet is supposed to be all about. So he's been saying, like, we can't do this. We can't do this. It's not a good idea. So Kirk has accepted Scotty's resignation. Then when it becomes time to announce to the ship what our mission is and what we're actually going to do here, he does look over from his seat and see Spock's disapproving eyes. And changes his mind entirely about what they're going to do. And he announces that instead of going and just murdering this guy, they're going to send down a search party and capture him to take him back to face justice on the home world. So there is that little bit of like, oh, Spock's mad at me. I can't do it thing. What else happens with the two of them? I don't know. I mean, they're supposed to be bonding. Well, the the main Kirk Spock thing of this is obviously the glass between us. The recreation of of Wrath of Kanya. (laughs) So that is their most on the nose, like we are bonded scene in any of the three movies. Mm-hmm. So there, there's like, this is their dialogue in that you used what he wanted against him. That's a nice move. It is what you would have done. And this, this is what you would have done. It was only logical. And he says, I'm scared, Spock. That's an emotion. Help me not be. How do you choose not to feel? And Spock says, I do not know. Right now I am failing. And Kirk says, I want you to know why I couldn't let you die, why I went back for you. And Spock says, because you are my friend. And then he cries a little bit and they touch hands through the glass. So that's definitely the most Kirk Spocky bit of any of these four things. Mm-hmm. Then you are right. As soon as Kirk or is like maybe dead, then Spock switches right to anger and we get on with the mission. <laughs> and then when Kirk's fine again and they've revived him, Spock's there waiting for him. I guess for the last two weeks, he's just been hanging out in Kirk's room for him to wake up. So that's a little bit. Very Samwise Gamgee. Kirk Spocky. Yes, very much so. That's like the main Kirk and Spock beats of it. Mm-hmm. What else do you want to say about this film? I mean, broadly, right? Like the relationship still isn't working for me because again like these movies are very fast paced and yes. I think that creates a number of problems. One, again, like they make space so small. It people travel instantaneously whether it's transport beaming or by ship the story time is so constrained which is nonsense because like space was like real big it's like it's infinite really it's like really really big like it's pretty big and yeah the movie doesn't allow space for actual like quiet moments of bonding or the characters to joke with each other them not to be in conflict with each other like all of their beats up until the point of the death is them disagreeing but like i think more aggressively than they do in the original series like in the original series they do disagree they're having conversations mm-hmm. but i was rewatching some original series episodes and like the thing that's great about original kirk and this kind of comes up and beyond 
is he's having the best time he 90% of the time. It. Yeah, it's true. Like there are times obviously where things get very serious and then he's appropriately serious, but like he enjoys bickering. There's like a twinkle in his eye. There's like mischief to it, right? Like he mm-hmm. knows he's needling this guy who is not going to react in a way. He's enjoying watching Bones needle Spock and Spock needle Bones. Like he loves being the captain and he's again just having the best time. And so then we can have the best time along with all three of them. Mm-hmm. And I also, so I, I rewatched Wrath of Khan and I rewatched Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, which you have not seen, uh, I believe. Correct. That's correct. It's generally considered the worst <laughs> Star Trek movie. It's pretty bad. I'm not here to make an argument that it's good because uh-huh. it's not. It was written and directed by William Shatner. And that's fascinating. (laughs) And it's kind of relevant for two reasons. One is, as much as it's not great, there's these wonderful character moments throughout the film. The movie starts with everyone on shore leave and Bones and Kirk and Spock are camping together. That's so sweet. It's really cute. (laughs) And there's a scene towards the end of the time camping together where they're trying to get Spock to sing Row, Row, Row Your Boat with them in a round. And he's like, I don't know this song. And then at the end of the movie, yeah, at the end of the movie, they come back and they go on shore leave again. They're camping and the movie ends with Spock playing a little guitar or like a little stringed instrument and the three of them singing Row, Row, Row Your Boat together. And it's like, as much as the plot of Star Trek V is so stupid. Yeah. I would rather rewatch that movie every day of my life than rewatch this movie ever again. Like you get these fun little character beats. And then the other thing with Star Trek V is here's the place to do it. But my long standing pitch is you set up this alternate universe in Star Trek 09, right? You set up this universe where things are radically different, right? Vulcan has been destroyed. So then yep. you want to sit down and think through, okay, how does that reverberate through the canon of Star Trek? So to turn around and redo Wrath of Khan, A, without the basis of Space Seed, which is what made it kind of interesting, and without the grounding in that character, is a wild choice because you're not going to make something as good as Wrath of Khan. Like, it's it's just not going to happen, or Sean Kurtzman, you're not Nicholas Meyer. And so I think the alternative thing to do is to say, like, maybe we can take something that sucks about the original run or the original series and make mm-hmm. it better right like that's a win-win because you're probably not going to make something worse than star trek 5 the final frontier where they go on a spaceship to find god in the center of the galaxy it's just not gonna happen (laughs) and it was also like i love it when they get to find god and he's clearly not god william shatner is so cute because he he's there and he raises his hand and he goes excuse me what would god need with a spaceship which is just like one of the most iconic lines (laughs) Of all time. It's so good. That, again, the movie's not good, but it's it's perfect. <sighs> but in Star Trek V, we meet Spock's half-brother, Cybok, who has turned his back on the Vulcan way and has embraced emotion. And you're like, okay, we've destroyed Vulcan. This is a perfect opportunity to redeem this nonsense character and say, like, what would he be up to? He'd probably be pretty mad. Do something with him. That's interesting. And also, I think it's just weird that, like, in this alternate universe, both Kirk and Spock have older brothers who we never hear about. Yeah, like, I don't know about that. It's <laughs> yeah, really you know they wild. Exist and you're sort of like, oh, okay. Yeah, you think with Kirk's dad being dead, his older brother would function more intensely in his life, but I don't know. Who knows? 
But yeah, so I, I've long thought that would have been the play. Because again, your margin for error in doing something with Cybok is so much greater than your margin for error of having a fucking white con. Yeah, let's take a brief moment to talk about white con. <laughs> I feel like that's been the elephant in the room of this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. find it so interesting that they cast a white con and then didn't even try to explain it at all. Like, do you want to talk about the the original controversy of con and then? Yes. Yeah. So con canonically, if you watch Spacey, it is said he is from northern India and a Sikh, right? Mm-hmm. So he's Indian. Yep. His now, name is Khan Singh. His name is Khan Singh. <laughs> now, in the original series, he is played by Ricardo Montalban, who yeah. is not Indian. But he Correct. is a brown person. He's sure. Mexican. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, he's also incredible. The thing about <laughs> our, our original Khan, which new Khan is missing, is original Khan was seductive. He was very charismatic. And he seduced a woman onto his side because he's like, he's just, he's so smooth. He's so smooth. He's, <laughs> he's jacked. He's Ricardo Montalban. He's Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> he's so, he's jacked for the 1960s. He looks great. And so kind of similarly with Ahura, where it's like, why have we taken steps backwards in our depictions of women, right? In the original series, she's a professional. She's good at her job. She's there to do her work. And this, she's someone's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. In this, we see these women unclothed for no reason. Why are we doing that as opposed to taking the progressive bases we had and doing better? So take your Kanunian Singh, who at least was a brown person but wasn't Indian, and cast an Indian person if you want to do Khan. It does seem like right there, pretty obvious. Very strange. I've said to you, my only possible thinking on why they did this at all is because i mean it's quite clear that they wanted to keep it a secret that Khan was going to be in this movie yes because um, jj abrams specifically lied throughout the press tour everyone did uh, benedict yeah. cumberbatch lied throughout the press tour they all were like he's not Khan. we don't have Khan. stop asking about Khan because everyone was sure that it was gonna be gone yeah and then of course it was Khan. so I'm sure in their head somewhere, it's like, nobody's going to suspect that Benedict Cumberbatch is Khan. He's Benedict Cumberbatch. That would be crazy. Which, leaving aside the fact that that's still, like, extremely problematic, I understand that that might be a thought they would have, but Mm -hmm. I never would think that they then would make him Khan without any explanation in the movie (laughs) as to how he's fucking Khan. It doesn't make any sense. What are we doing? Explain it away somehow. As I said to you, like his consciousness has been transferred into another body or something. It's sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Make some shit up. I don't know. It's wild. It's really bad. It's wild and it's really bad. Yeah. I have bizarre. vague memories of John Cho in particular during the press tours being like, yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> Poor John Cho. <laughs> yeah. So shout outs to John Cho. But yeah, it uh, it's it's bad. It's bad. It's a step backwards. Yeah. Is there more to say about Into Darkness? Oh I think my. this is the heaviest Kirk Spock of anything we will be talking about. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, her still no homo leading around. Mm-hmm. 
basically she's just here to be upset about her boyfriend yeah she's not even as valuable in this as she is in the first one like she's upset about her boyfriend in the first one but at least in the first one big parts of why they are able to achieve their ends are Mm -hmm. because of her language skills yes i also feel like they didn't really know what to do with Chekhov in this movie. Like they made him a boy genius. And in this one, Kirk makes him the head of engineering, even though he's not an engineer. Yeah. You're like, I don't really understand. I like there's, he, there's the idea like is a second in command engineering. You should get promoted. Yeah. Chekhov, I guess is just like so smart and bored that he's learning everyone's jobs. And he's been apprenticing with Scotty for fun. Yes. And then when Scotty leaves, he's like, well, I guess Chekhov's in charge. And you're like, what then- yeah he doesn't really get to do any boy genius stuff he just gets to be like the it's not working sorry i take full responsibility and you're like oh, yeah. okay <laughs> well and he's doing the scotty thing of running around the ship being like it's broken and i'm trying to fix it i'll get back to you when i can i don't know if you noticed this but when they first call down Chekhov to be like what's going on he's not wearing goggles and then when we call him the second time the goggles are on his head like on the top of his head like a headband and yeah. then when we call him the third time they're on his eye that's how you can so, tell how serious it is it's getting progressively progress. more serious <laughs> he's got a he's got a, the goggles are moving around <laughs> that's funny um, i didn't notice that yeah okay it brings us to star trek beyond now we've lost our creators of the first two both in terms of the writer and the director we've got a new mm-hmm. writer new director yep tell me about star trek beyond you're going to have to because i was kind of only half paying attention to this i movie. mean to be fair same so we'll get into it <laughs> so what happens in beyond is it's more a kind of an episodic structure so they're on their five-year mission which kirk was so excited about at the end of the last one this is mm-hmm. so great five-year mission but he's kind of experiencing some ennui you know he's not it's not loving it as much as he thought and does really anything mean anything he's got a nihilist streak all of a sudden and he's like i don't think i want to do this anymore i've been at it long enough i'm not getting out of it what i want to be getting out of it he applies for this first admiral position at what's the name of the base yorktown yorktown yeah so there's this deep space base called Yorktown where millions of people who are beings. inside yeah, beings live. And so I guess, I don't know why he thinks that will be better for him because he doesn't like being stationary anyway, but he needs to shake things up. So he decides to do that. And meanwhile, at the beginning, Spock gets news that Admiral Spock, Spock Prime, has mm-hmm. died. And so that also sends him into like an existential dilemma of, I guess I need to go to new Vulcan to fulfill Spock's, you know, job because somebody needs to contribute. Yes, Kelsey? I have a very unrelated question. Okay. If you came back from the future. Me specifically, okay. Yeah, you're old. Yeah. And your old self comes back from the future and you're hanging out with yourself. And your old self died. Mm-hmm. Do you think you'd feel anything about that? Or you'd just be like, I guess this is how long I'm going to live? Or like... What do you think emotionally that would feel like? It is an interesting question. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know you're going to die someday, but I guess that does make your mortality like very real to you to be experiencing it in your yeah. timeline. I don't know. I mean, it's hard to imagine how you would be able to deal with future you at all in the first place. There's a lot of questions about how all of this would work. <laughs> would work emotionally yeah Yeah. but yeah their death that is an interesting question 
because I guess all of that would be considered right. I guess that's how long I live is a part of <laughs> what you would be experiencing. But also, like, maybe, again, like, totally different life experiences. That Spock did die, and then he got regenerated on the Genesis planet, so that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know, maybe his life has been more or less stressful. Who knows? Who's to say? It might I mean, be meaningless. You could get blown up any time, too, because yeah. you're on a spaceship. And we're in an we know we're in an alternate universe, yeah. so like his death doesn't necessarily mean that's when I will die. Yeah, for him, I mean, he's sad. He's like he's, sad about. It. I just don't sad. know. I'd be sad about it. Yeah, I don't know. I can't guarantee how I would feel about it. Yeah, <laughs> but for the plot of this movie, he's kind of sad about it. But also, there's this practical issue where at the end of the first one, Spock feels like he should resign. Because now there are only 10,000 Vulcans and they probably need his help to rebuild Vulcan. And Ambassador Spock is like, you don't have to worry about it because there are two of you. So I can go do that and you can do your thing. And so now that there are not two of him, I guess this becomes another question of like, what am I? Am I providing enough value in this job at Starfleet to outweigh my -hmm. duty to go help my people? Yes. So he's dealing with this question. So at the beginning of the movie, they've each been presented with these things. Spock and Kirk meet up in an elevator and are like, yo, after this mission, I have something I need to talk to you about. Oh, me too. I have something I need to talk to you about. I guess we'll talk about it later. Mm-hmm. And then they are separated for the length of a movie. So yes. <laughs> what happens in this one is they are at Yorktown, I don't know, refueling or some shit. They're on and, shore leave. Yeah. And we meet briefly Sulu's husband and daughter. We'll so talk about it. That's a thing to talk about later. Anyway, a threat arises because some this woman shows up who is in an escape pod, I guess. Mm-hmm. How did they find her? Yeah, so, she escape potted over there. Yeah. She is like, I was on this ship with all of my people. We were attacked by this Fun. guy. Yeah, something. I don't know what. We were attacked. But I need you to send people out to this planet to try to get back at whoever attacked me and my people. And so, of course, they send the Enterprise, because what else would you send? And they get there to this planet, and they run into this weird fucking thing that's kind of like a storm of bees in space. (laughs) So they end up talking about it. It's like a hive of little spaceships that Mm -hmm. operate separately and attack them, and they basically fuck them right up. The Enterprise is no match for this. And so the ship goes down. They escape pod out. The ship goes down onto this planet and they're all marooned. So luckily, pretty much everyone made it out of the ship, but they've been separated into little units. Yeah. Well, and most of the escape pods got kidnapped. So most of the Enterprise crew has all been kidnapped. And then we have various groups. So we have Bones and Spock who are together Mm -hmm. on this planet. And we have Kirk and Chekhov and lady the the woman yes, new lady Aaron new lady, lady who is the one who wanted them to come on this mission in the first place and so they're kind of wandering around trying to find each other they need to no the alien lady with scotty isn't the one who wanted them to come on the mission no i'm not talking about i didn't even get oh. to scotty so oh, scotty sorry. runs into a new alien lady and they become friends that's another <laughs> my group. bad but the the first lady is the yeah. person who was attacked who was like we need to go on this Who's mission with kirk and Chekhov. she's with kirk and Chekhov. yes And so they're all trying to find each other. Their communication systems are down. It's all fucked up. Spock has been injured. And luckily he's with the doctor (laughs) because he gets uh, impaled. And then 
Bones, has, you know, is able to save him enough so that they can keep moving. Scotty is working with this woman who has found an old Federation ship on the mm-hmm. planet and she's trying to fix it up so she can get the hell out of there. And then, yes, we have Kirk and Chekhov who find out that the woman was not actually in need of rescue. She was there to lure them to this planet because there's something that, what's the name? Crawl? 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 Crawl is the villain. Yeah. Basically, there's this piece of machinery that had been talked about at the beginning of it. They didn't know what it was for, but it turns out it's very valuable and Crawl wants it. So she is a traitor. They find out. Battle, battle, battle ensues. So our various groups of people end up connecting with each other, but they need to go rescue the rest of the Enterprise because Uhura and all the rest of the people are there. We learn from our new alien friend that it's like a really, really horrible place and Crawl is super <laughs> evil and you probably don't want to go there because it really sucks. And they're like, well, we've got to go there because it's our people. And so they come up with a plan and they rescue the people and in the meantime they've learned about because there is this federation ship on the planet they're like oh wait we know about this ship it's this guy who went missing a hundred years ago or whatever and nobody ever knew what happened to him and so battle 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 they don't defeat crawl but they do get away well kind of they get away enough <laughs> that Crawl is able to go off on his mission, which they find out is to destroy the Yorktown, which is where all the millions of people live. And so they're chasing him in their own shoddy ship. Yes. And while all of this is going down, Revelation, it turns out that Crawl is actually the old captain who went down with the ship a hundred years ago. Oh my god. Crazy news, right? And he somehow turned into this thing that doesn't look at all like a human. And you're like, It doesn't look like Idris Elba at all. Did this happen to you? Uh, luckily, we do reveal that it is Idris Elba under there, because we love Idris Elba. Sure. And so... This felt like an intentional reference to Guardians of the Galaxy to me, the way that they resolve the issue of the B ship. The B ships. So they I do. Think it's, it's less Guardians than it is Mars attacks. Well, okay, yes, I fucking love that as a reference. You're right. So anyway, what has happened is earlier in the movie, we find out that the alien girl likes music and she found music on the ship and she's been playing it. And so mm-hmm. they realize when they're trying to defeat the bee thing attacking Yorktown that there must be some sort of telepathic communication going on with this swarm of things so that they can all act together as a swarm. Mm-hmm. And so if they can disrupt that by broadcasting a very distracting frequency, <laughs> they will be able to stop the the uh, ships from functioning. And they realize that they can broadcast music, which is very distracting for of beings of the future. And so then, yeah, there is this final battle thing where there it is a lot like Mars Attacks. <laughs> Where they play the music and it makes the things go like haywire and blow up and run into each other. And so, you know, they win They at that. They kill all Mm -hmm. of them, but they haven't yet killed Crawl. And Mm -hmm. Crawl's whole thing is he wants to get to the weapon that they have found is this crazy bioweapon. And so if he could get to the like air duct system of Yorktown which obviously relies heavily on the circulation of air since they're a space station Mm -hmm. uh, and put this weapon in there then it will kill everyone on board and so then there's a final secondary battle with Kirk and Crawl who now 
looks more like Idris Elba. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't clear why his face started becoming more humanoid. Unclear. Okay. And, <laughs> well, okay, he is doing a thing that is supposed to be making him live longer, where he's basically stealing the life force of living beings, and it does some sort of weird physical thing to him when he does it, and you see... Oh, because he's been stealing some life force from humans? Maybe. Look oh, you know, human? that might be it. Maybe it makes okay. him look more like the things he's stealing the life force from. Yeah. We've, we've just solved the issue. When he's stealing the life force from those two people who are hanging upside down, it's really goofy. It's so goofy. Well, because it does that thing that's like a cartoon thing where his face starts switching. Like he's yeah. being electrocuted, and you see his his skull, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and the people are like, they're just vibrating, and you're like, this... There's this, this thing that happens, right, where actors are like, I, I just had to trust that the director would make it look good in the end. I, I really put my on and you're yes. like, ooh, Justin Lin did not make this look good. <laughs> it's so silly. So anyway, <laughs> they have their face off. Surprise, surprise, they win. Not everyone on the space station is killed. And so then through the course of this, I guess each of them, Kirk and Spock, have reevaluated their ideas about what they want for themselves and decided that they do want to stay working on the enterprise and so at the end they have this moment where it's like oh yeah didn't you want to talk to me (laughs) about Mm -hmm. a thing and they just sort of leave it unspoken because i guess they've come back around to where they began anyway so at the end kirk's finally like i heard about ambassador spock is that what you wanted to talk to me about on the turbo lift and Mm -hmm. spock's like more or less and he says, I trust your meeting with Commodore Paris went well, which is when he was being offered the uh, first admiral job or whatever. And he says, more or less. And then they just sort of like stare into space together, deciding that there's yeah. still going to The whole crew gets together just to look out at space with each other. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but that's the end. So that's yes. beyond. We can talk about the brief Kirk Spock Mm-hmm. bits of this but we should mention that this is much more of a bones spock movie yes there's a surprising amount of bones slash spock material in this film because as you said they split up kirk and spock for like the whole movie so mm-hmm. there's just not a lot going on there and then to be fair thankfully they split up a her and spock for most of the movie yes so we don't have to deal with that Uhura's kind of on her own island for this one. There's not Well, they've sort of broken up and then the fact They that have he- broken up. I think they say that they broke up. They're yes. Like, Good. This is a bad relationship. <laughs> this is not a healthy relationship, guys. <laughs> you should break up. But yeah, there's a lot of like bones needling Spock about his relationships and what's going on with him and he's the one who notices that he's broken up with Ahura and he keeps Mm. asking him about it and what's going on there and then of course they're sort of sniping at each other the whole way through because that is their dynamic. So you have Bones saving Spock and then helping carry him through the wilderness to get where they're going. It's very um, hurt comfort because Spock is hurt. He's very injured. And Bones is comforting him. Yeah. There's a scene where Spock is sort of, I guess, sleeping or passed out. And you see Bones like grasp his face and be like, wake up, wake up, damn it. And you're like, this is shippy. It's a little shippy. Yeah. Some of the more shippy stuff of these movies, to be honest. But the Kirk Spock stuff, I just thought it was interesting. This is more of a complaint than a talk about what the deal is. But- 
they each have an issue that they want to discuss with each other. We've set it up as like, supposedly they're very good friends. That was kind of the premise of the last one. Mm-hmm. So here, clearly they like working with, with each other because on multiple occasions they've chosen. Well, I guess when, when Kirk is deciding he's going to leave, he's like, if I may, I want to recommend that Spock replace me because he's wonderful, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But multiple times they've asked to be each other, like made each other their first mates and tried to stay together and all that. They're a big part of each other's enterprise career. And Mm -hmm. so that's why they want to discuss with each other, understandably. But then they don't have anything to do with how they solve their issues. Like Spock doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Kirk decides he wants to stay. And Kirk doesn't have anything to do with the fact that Spock decides he wants to stay. And so then it's weird that you end up with this moment at the end of like, I guess it's all good. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels so weird because we haven't talked a lot about what the original Kirk and Spock are like, but their relationship is a big part of why they like doing what they do. Right. Mm -hmm. That's like a, a major element of why I love being in space and being on this ship and being with these people in particular. And so it's just really interesting that that doesn't factor in at all. They, they're each having a crisis of faith or whatever. Right. And it resolves completely separately. But then they still feel compelled to structure it as, I have oh, news. Oh, we decided to oh, stay wait, together. I never have news. Yeah, like, <laughs> we decided to stay together, except not because I didn't decide it because I wanted to stay with you. I just happened to decide that I wanted right. to stay. Well, it's it's the continuation of the problem of these characters never have conversations about their relationships mm-hmm. like where do we want to go what is the nature of a relationship how do we feel about each other like it's just it's not there there is i guess i, I did write down there's one bait that i should mention from this one mm-hmm. where spock's been injured they do find each other before they do their final mission mm-hmm. to rescue the rest of the crew spock's hurt they want to get him patched up before they go on their mission and they do have a scene where Kirk's like how are we going to get out of this one Spock he says we will do what we have always done Jim we will find hope in the impossible and he says let's get you patched up first Captain you must focus your efforts on helping the crew and he says well that's why I need you around Spock so there's like this tiny bit of that there's a Mm -hmm. time when Spock saves his life and he says well what would I do without you Spock and in the turbo lift scene when they are saying like I have news I need to talk about but let's not do it now at the end of that scene Kirk's says to Spock, we make a good team, don't we? And Spock's like, I believe we do. And that's sort right. of how they leave that. And so it's like, yeah. I, the implication obviously is, I have this other thing happening that makes me not know if I want to continue doing this job, but I will miss you. You are the, one of the things pulling me back to this job, but it's so completely all unspoken. Right. <laughs> you're it's, like, It's like if, you know... For some reason, I was like, I have this other thing coming up. I don't know that I can do the podcast anymore. When yeah. I start that conversation, like, Maddie, we make, we make a, good a good team, team. don't we? And I would be you like, know, yeah, friends. I think so. <laughs> Wouldn't that be weird? It's pretty weird. It doesn't feel like conversations between good friends. It's just all so unspoken in this one in a weird way, where their yeah. initial conversation is all subtext and then their final conversation is all subtext and it's like they haven't had a single conversation (laughs) this entire movie should we talk about sulu yes so we came into this movie i think knowing that they were going to make sulu canonically gay Mm -hmm. which is good yeah 
We're not opposed to. We like gay characters, clearly. Canonically gay characters. That's what we're doing here. Yep. So the way that they do this is the movie starts with Kirk doing this voiceover where he's like, I'm not happy. And you're like, okay. And then they show on Sulu's little con that he has a picture of a little girl. Mm -hmm. I think you can successfully assume. It's his daughter. Yes. And then when they go on shore leave, they show Sulu greeting his daughter, hugging her, picking her up, giving her a kiss. And then he and a man put their arms around each other and sort of gently rub each other's backs. And <laughs> yeah. that's that's what's in this movie. <laughs> well, and there are moments later when it, we're seeing things go down on Yorktown where we're seeing the partner and daughter yeah. running from danger. I mean, they've slotted him in in the way that movies normally would slot in someone's wife that's not a character but she is in Mm -hmm. danger so you have to worry about it it's like that's the entire structure of it but yeah he has no lines there's not any it's not like a scene no you just are like oh there's his husband okay and as i told you my note when they greet each other after shore leave was show sulu kissing his partner you cowards absolutely couldn't agree more we want makeouts. <laughs> it doesn't even have to be a makeout. It could no, be a I light know. peck hello. A light you know? peck hello would be entirely I've been away on a five-year mission and you've been raising our child by yourself. Why I agreed to go on this five-year mission when we have a young child. I don't know. It's but pretty fucked up. <laughs> I did. You know, people are just leaving kids behind all the time in this series because – Similarly, I realized because Kirk has an older brother who is not on the ship with his parents when he's born, mm-hmm. I guess George Jr. is just on planet, not with his parents. I guess. But then, I mean, when Kirk is young, his mother is also off planet and she's left him with his like stepfather that he hates, too. So that's a root of <laughs> angst. People are just leaving kids everywhere. It's not good. <laughs> not great. Not good. So, yeah, that's the extent of canon gay sulu in the film yes so it's not much it's about what you expect when people say we're gonna have the first canonically gay character in our thing and you're like are you now this is what you're gonna get yeah showing two men rubbing each other's lower backs is like okay (laughs) (laughs) all right guess so but yeah i mean that's beyond is there more to say about beyond so I did appreciate going into this one that I do think Lynn and Peg identified one of the issues was what I was saying before is that Kirk has never seemed enthusiastic really about the idea of space travel, which is very different from our Kirk. Yep. And like, I think one of the problems with the first couple of movies is no one wants to be there. Kirk gets dared into joining Starfleet, right? Mm-hmm. Spock joins out of spite. And yep. Bones joins because he got a divorce and feels like he needs to leave the planet. Like, no one wants to go explore space. And you're like, this sucks. But space is so fun. <laughs> it reminds me of, like, a, I think modern franchises do this a lot in a way that I don't enjoy. Like, this is the same problem with the Daniel Craig Bond movies where he's constantly trying to quit. And it's like, I don't want to watch a series of movies where someone is at a job they hate mm-hmm. that they don't have to be at. Just quit your job you don't have to be there (laughs) and so like i just i i think these movies don't well the first two like don't appreciate that 
this is a job in an organization. You could do something else. And so I do like that they recognize that and try to get him to a place where he's like, oh, I do want to be the captain. But I also like it didn't connect for me that this adventure would make him go like, space is fun because it seems horrific. Yeah, it's really that's the thing is it's really not a fun mission. And by the end, he is newly invigorated and they do have him being like, it's actually going to be great. We love space. But that it doesn't connect to what they've just done, which is like so horrible. (laughs) They Like so much of their crew must have died. Yep. Yeah, it didn't come together for me. I appreciate that that's the journey they were trying to have him go on to get him to a place where he could be like, space is fun. And it also doesn't feel like they have like a big, I mean, the win is that they saved Yorktown, I guess, but it doesn't feel like they went to a place and like saved a bunch of people. They saved their one alien friend from this planet that she was living on and Mm -hmm. couldn't get off of. But it's like, just feels like small wins and maintaining the status quo (laughs) where you're not left thinking like, I'm so glad that we were out here in space. Right. We learned something new. We had an adventure. None of that. So yeah. This one I found, again, to be fair, I was I was not paying super close attention. I was making graphics for our other podcasts as <laughs> I was watching it. it. It was maybe less problematic, but I don't know. It just, there wasn't a lot there there. And it's, it's building on, for me, right, a shaky foundation of, like, I don't like these characters, so I don't really want to spend time with them. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird that they split them up. It's interesting that there's more bones spa stuff here i don't yep. i don't actually have too many more notes about okay. this one it is interesting too i don't know how old the kirk character is supposed to be but chris pine at least is older than shatner in beyond than shatner was in the first season of star trek which i think is interesting yes i will get into a little bit when we talk about the fic i don't know if this is actually supposed to be canon or not i feel like in the fic that i read He's younger than I thought he was supposed to be Mm -hmm. because I was expecting him to be Chris Pine age, to be fair. But I think in there, by by beyond, he's probably not supposed to be older than like 27 or something. He's younger than Pine. I think the movies took longer to produce than the story it's telling because they probably, right, they went on their five-year mission right after Into Darkness ended. Yeah. So yeah, there was only like a couple of years whereas beyond came out just longer yeah there's definitely not supposed to be seven years of time between star trek and star trek beyond yes where do we go from here (laughs) well i think we did want to say i think we've made this clear throughout this discussion that it feels i think to both of us that the basis of this ship is original kirk and spock and Mm -hmm. that's not to say there'd be no shipping activity around this film because it is coming out sort of like in it's a little before that sort of peak Tumblr era that we were talking about, but at least Into Darkness is like bright smack dab in it. And it had Benedict Cumberbatch in it, who was like at the heart of the storm of peak Tumblr. Although you, again, I wonder too, right, without the, the background, maybe he would have been central to the shipping if this was an independent property. I hadn't thought about that. But, you know, we talk about like the, the, the two hot white guys phenomenon. Yep. So there would be shipping around this, but sure. I just don't think there is a lot of there there no and so it's really building on the foundation of original kirk slash spock and i think it's interesting and we'll get into this the way the film goes out of its way to interrupt that relationship by adding uhura 
mm-hmm. by splitting them up. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting the way they like interrupt the the holy trinity, right? Where like Bones is is very secondary. He's not as in the mix as he is in the original yeah. series, except um, in the third one. Except in the third one, but it's not the three of them really. Again, no. it's two of them. So. Yes, despite Maddie, I think, not being nearly as nearly as irritated by these films no. as I am. I don't know if this is a point for me to say brief thoughts about how I felt watching the movie yeah. as a non-Star Trek person. And then now, I guess, I think the first movie is perfectly fine. I think it is a movie made for people who don't know anything about Star Trek, which was me when I first mm-hmm. watched it, who will be able to pick up enough cultural knowledge to know that these things exist and have a vague sense of what they are to then when you're watching it be like oh yeah that thing oh yeah i've heard that before oh that's smock i know him that's Mm -hmm. the level at which you are supposed to be operating to make that movie work and i do think if that's the level you're at the movie works fine there's not deep character development it's not an incredible movie but i think the action works and i think carries you through and it's enjoyable enough i don't have a problem with it except if you're trying to watch it for any sort of actual star trek reasons (laughs) then it doesn't work and i will say having watched more now since i originally saw the movies yeah i mean the characterizations are insane like it doesn't really have anything (laughs) to do with the show and i understand what now in a way that i didn't at the time people who watched it were like i don't even understand why they called it star trek like it doesn't make any sense to me like i get it I feel for you. This movie was not made for you. And that is explicit, as we will get to in some of the quotes later on. The people making this were not Star Trek fans. They did not have deep Star Trek knowledge. They were operating from a very basic level (laughs) of Star Trek information. That is true. And I will say really quickly, people will often say, and this is true. So Nicholas Meyer did Wrath of Khan and he did Undiscovered Country, and I think he wrote, like, the Earth bits of Voyage Home, which is the Whales one, mm-hmm. which are generally considered the best original series Star Trek films. And he also was not a fan of the series. He was specifically came in and was like, I'm going to deconstruct where I can and, and really try to ground this much more. And those movies are beloved. So I think the fact that the people who made this were not fans is not necessarily the problem. I will say, right, with Nicholas Meyer... He was still working with a lot of people who worked on the original series and he mm-hmm. took their input. So like it was the production designer who decided that the MacGuffin of Wrath of Khan should be the Genesis planet, which is like wild. Yeah. <laughs> the production designer was like, I have an idea. And he was like, very interesting. That's okay, good. It works for and, me. And the team was like, you solved it. This is the answer. <laughs> Great job, <laughs> production designer. But, you know, obviously the, the cast and crew had been there. There were other people who were still working that were very familiar. But I think the difference might also be that like, Nicholas Myers really smart and talented and Orsi and Kurtzman suck. <laughs> so I think that might be the I core think problem. There is also a difference in that Nicholas Meyer may not have been a fan of the show. And the way you talk about it is like, he thought there were issues with the show that he could set out to fix when he made his movies. To me, well, he the, just didn't. They, it just wasn't precious to him. So he was willing to do different things. Yes. But he knew the show is what I'm trying to say. Like, he no, had, he didn't know it at all no he was coming in like i don't he might have watched some of the episodes as he was writing it but he yeah. was not a fan at all okay prior. well he had not seen them. to me it feels like the people making the modern ones not only were not fans but didn't really watch very much of it. Yeah. <laughs> like it feels like they went into this and were like ah 
I've heard of Khan. I guess let's do that. <laughs> it's like, doesn't feel like they're operating from a place of like, let's take what is there and make changes to it. They're ignoring right. what is there. I will also say too, right? And I think we've talked about this before in previous podcasts. Like, there have been a million versions of Sherlock Holmes yep. at this point. There have been a million versions of Batman. Mm-hmm. And part of it, I think, is that they're adapting a, a written medium into a visual medium so like if you read a book right we're gonna imagine Sherlock Holmes differently based on what we read in terms of like what we privilege in his characterization for some of us what he looks like in our mind for some of us but not for all of us (laughs) not for all of us you know so when you translate that to the screen it can be a different thing and people are going to recognize different elements but when a character originates with an actor I think so much of the characterization is in that actor's performance Mm -hmm. and so even if again if Nicholas Meyer wasn't familiar right Shatner's going to show up on the day and he's still playing this character he's been playing for x amount of episodes and x amount of years right like I think playing emotionless which is what Leonard Nimoy is doing without it coming off as like condescending or really dickish or whatever is like a really hard thing to do I don't think Zachary Quinto manages it mm-hmm. but like again regardless of the writing right Leonard Nimoy is going to show up on the day and know how to play that role and that's not something that these movies had the advantage of doing well but um, what I was going to say is in these movies Nimoy does feel like Spock because he's yeah. Nimoy right <laughs> it's a, you know like- it's a it's a harder needle to thread like you know I love Columbo and for many years Mark Ruffalo who I also love Mark Ruffalo was- is great was threatening to do a Columbo remake. And I'm like, there's, it's such a hard thing to do because you're, you're drawing this line of like, is it caricature? Is it a completely different character? Peter Falk is Columbo. Yeah. There's no way to play that role without it being in reference to the original. And that's like, it's, it's, there's always going to be a disconnect as a result. I think we haven't watched it for this show or, or for this podcast. I mean, Mm -hmm. or talked about it and I haven't seen it. But this is the heart of the issue with people not liking Alden Ehrenreich's portrayal of Han Solo, right? Right. Like, people are very tied to a specific Han Solo because there is only one Han Solo, and he is the only one they will accept. Yes. So it is tough to translate a visual medium into another visual medium. Right. So to be fair, right, that's that's just an inherent difficulty. But I also think the writers just did a bad job. But hey, okay, <laughs> let's move on. I, I, on. I'm, I've got it mostly out of my system. I could go on and on and on, guys, but we'll spare you a little bit. <laughs> just a smidge, because we have gone on a bit. Yes. So we should talk about quotes. What did the yes. creators say and do? What are they all thinking about this stuff? So we have some Spock and Kirk stuff. We have an interesting quote, I think. For our purposes. It's more telling than I think he meant it to be. (laughs) Yes. From Chris Pine about the Spock-Kirk relationship. Uh, Chris Pine says, It's a relationship between two men that spend a lot of time together in space. It's sort of like Russell Crowe and Paul Bettany in Master and Commander. It's very much a story about two men learning really to love one another. And in the end, they become fast friends. But along the way, they butt heads because they're alpha males. They strongly believe in themselves. It's hard to say alpha males without laughing, isn't it? It really is. (laughs) Sure. Fair enough. Whatever. It's about two guys in space and they're like, they're on a ship. I get it. What makes this very funny is, and hopefully you'll all be hearing more about it. Master and Commander is so gay. It's really gay. (laughs) We will be covering it at some point. We watched it again for the Oscars podcast. And I think we both walked away from it being like, so they're dating. 
It's yeah. a it's a movie They're about married? a yeah, married couple who are a captain and a doctor of a ship just trying to go on vacation. I'm telling you that's what it's about. <laughs> we'll we'll do an episode and you'll get into it. But I, yes. I loved that that was his reference point. That was this. his pull. Yeah. And you're like, so you pull the married couple. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> but anyway, that's that's Chris Pine about it. But who cares what Chris Pine has to say? You know who's you know who's in this mix that I always want to hear from? J.J. Abrams. He gave us such a great quote for the Finn Poe episode. What's he got for us here? I mean, I we can't promise it'll be as good as that one because what a glorious quote the Finn Poe one yeah. is. But we do have a couple of quotes from him that illustrate a couple of things. Here's the first. Why do you think the characters of Kirk and Spock endure? He was asked. Mm-hmm. He says... That was an amazing relationship. It was an incredible relationship. It was brilliant writing and brilliant casting. And I agree with that. Huh? Oh, there's no content there. Absolutely no content. Just words. Couldn't agree more, JJ. I absolutely agree with brilliant writing and brilliant casting. Yeah. But this one will get at the heart of everyone's issues with JJ Abrams <laughs> making this movie. And he said... I knew this would work because the script Alex and Bob wrote was so emotional and so relatable. I didn't love Kirk and Spock when I began this journey, but I love them now. You might be asking, what business do you have making a movie about Kirk and Spock if you didn't like them to begin with? But they gave him the job and he said, I will take your money. I mean, yeah, fair enough. I would have taken the money too, man. I can't imagine how much he got paid to make this. But that's sort of where we're coming from is a place of people who were like, I didn't really care about Kirk and Spock to begin with, but now I guess they're cool. You know, it's so emotional and relatable. Like, you know how, again, your future self came back and told you that we were going to be best friends and that's why we're best friends. I haven't told you this because my future self told me not to, but that is absolutely what happened. Yeah. All right. I mean, the reverse. Your future self came and told me that we were going to be best friends and I didn't tell you about it. But I felt this was an appropriate moment to tell you. Mm -hmm. That's why we're friends. That's the whole reason. Yeah. It's not because we have things in common or, you know. Well, I mean, that was what I found out after I decided to agree to be friends with you because your future self told me it was a good idea. Yes. I related happily. Yeah. (laughs) So glad that happened. Okay. So that's not a ton of Kirk and Spock. We're going to get into some interesting Zachary Quinto happenings in a bit. To be fair to them, there's not a lot of Kirk and Spock conversation because there's not that much Kirk and Spock shippiness in the movie. They really underwrote it. They said, we're going to focus our energies on Elsewhere. tricking people into thinking Benedict Cumberbatch isn't calm. <laughs> that is going to take all of our efforts. That's the only thing we can focus on. Yeah. But where we do have a lot of commentary and conversation and back and forth is in the issue of... Sulu. Yes. This is Which quite is fascinating, story. again, given how small the scene was. Uh, to start with, we have a couple of quotes from George Takei and, and John Cho just about the way the scene played out, I guess. Yeah. yeah. So Takei's feeling about the scene, and we should say, I guess, we'll get into this more. He wasn't positive about the choice to make Sulu gay to begin with. But once they had done it and yes. saw it in the movie, this is what he thought. He called it a whisper of a scene while pointing to other movies that are dealing with LGBT issues much more profoundly. Maybe Which, like, I mean, hard yeah. to argue with that. There's really not much of it. But apparently that was intentional because then you talk to John Cho 
who says that he likes that about it. His quote Mm -hmm. is, I liked the approach, which was not to make a big thing out of it, which is where I hope we are going as a species to not politicize one's personal orientations. That's a that's a classic quote about making whispers of of scenes. Like, yes, that is the place we would like to get to where it's not a big uh, deal. But we're not in that place. We're not yet. there yet. So maybe like put it in people's faces if you mean it, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I, I don't either of those. The quotes are like, sure, whatever. It's really not that big of a scene yeah. where the interesting stuff happened was in the backstory. In the process. <laughs> so apparently the order of things was that Justin Lin, who directed this one or beyond and Simon Pegg, who was one of the co-writers told Cho that they'd chosen to depict Sulu as gay in honor of George Takei. Yes, because they wanted to put a gay character in because they felt there should be one. And then they were mm-hmm. like, you know who is in the original and is a gay actor? George Takei. Right. What if we make it Sulu? This was the Yes, thinking. this will be done to honor him. So George Takei didn't love it. No, not a huge fan. He said, I'm delighted that there's a gay character. Unfortunately, it's a twisting of Gene's creation to which he put in so much thought. I think it's really unfortunate. Apparently, Cho called Takei to tell him, like, oh, we're going to make him gay. Isn't that great? Yeah. And Takei said, I told him, be imaginative and create a character who has a history of being gay rather than Sulu had been straight all this time, suddenly being revealed as being closeted. Which, you know, you can debate whether or not the character of Sulu in the new timeline is closeted but well uh, he certainly is never shown as being gay in the original he's not shown as being straight either he's just a guy who knows how to sword fight and fly a plane (laughs) (laughs) so anyway yes the he didn't react initially well to it he thought if you're gonna make a gay character make a gay character as opposed to sulu who i always played as straight you know yes so that was where that went. I mean, he said to John Cho, who was an actor and not really capable of creating a right. new character. But why John Cho was the one to tell him either is another question. But I don't okay. know. So he said this and didn't hear anything. And then he was like, all right, whatever. Who knows how that'll go? And then he met months later, hears from Simon Pegg, praising him for his advocacy for the LGBT movement and his pride in Star Trek. And he says, and I thought to myself, how wonderful. It's a fan letter from Simon Pegg. Justin had talked to him and he thought this meant like they rethought and did what I I told them to to my wishes. Right. (laughs) So then after that, right before the movie's about to come out and there's the press tour, he hears from John Cho, who's like, they did change it. Sulu's still gay. What am am I supposed to do? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what to say about this. George was like, well, promote the movie, but I still don't like it. Yeah. Takei says, I really tried to work with these people when at long last the issue of gay equality was going to be addressed. I thought after that conversation with Justin, that was going to happen. Months later, when I got the email from Simon Pegg, I was kind of confused. He thinks I'm a great guy? Wonderful. But what was the point of that letter? I interpreted that as my words having been heard. (laughs) They were heard. They were just they just ignored. Well, they were like, we hear you. We disagree. Yes. <laughs> like, okay. So, yeah. Then we have some response to mm-hmm. the response. Right. So maybe, I, I think maybe we'll start with Simon Pegg because he was involved in the back and forth right. a bit. Simon Pegg wrote it. Yes. So Simon Pegg wrote it. 
in his mind to honor George Takei. George Takei didn't take it that way. And now, how do you feel about this, Simon Pegg? And he says, I have huge love and respect for George Takei. His heart, courage, and humor are an inspiration. However, with regards to his thoughts on our Sulu, I must respectfully disagree with him. He's right. It is unfortunate. It's unfortunate that the screen version of the most inclusive, tolerant universe in science fiction hasn't featured an LGBT character until now. We could have introduced a new gay character, but he or she would have been primarily defined by their sexuality, seen as the gay character, rather than simply for who they are. And isn't that tokenism? It's also important to note that at no point do we suggest that our Sulu was ever closeted. Why would he need to be? It just hasn't come up before. Classic difference of opinions here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Which, on the one hand, is like, fair enough, he's writing it. These are his versions of the characters. It's just that they were the ones who brought Takei into it in the first place. As like, we are doing this to honor you. you. (laughs) It's It's an awkward place to start to then the person you're honoring go, I don't want that. And you go... Well, well, I guess bad. we're not honoring you, but we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's the awkwardness. Yes. We also have a quote from Zachary Quinto, who, of course, is uh, gay also gay. as well. Yes. He says, as a member of the LGBT community myself, I was disappointed by the fact that George was disappointed. I think any member of the LGBT community that takes issue with the normalized and positive portrayal of members of our community in Hollywood and in mainstream blockbuster cinema, I get it. He had his own personal journey and had his own personal relationship with this character. But, you know, as we established in the first Star Trek film in 2009, we've created an alternate universe. And my hope is that eventually George can be strengthened by the enormously positive response from especially young people who are heartened by and inspired by this really tasteful and beautiful portrayal of something that I think is gaining acceptance and inclusion in our societies across the world and should be. Also kind of like, sure. (laughs) You know, I I do want to get into this a little bit, and I don't know if this is the place for it, but Mm -hmm. a thing we have discussed in previous episodes of this podcast is the very awkward position that gay creators can find themselves in in these conversations. We've often discussed it with writers, but also with actors, like in our Mm -hmm. Gotham situation. Yes. Where you have a gay act, like an openly gay actor, put in a position where they have to be the voice of like, this is gay, this isn't gay in our show and what the fans are saying is wrong and what this is that. And like, they have to be the arbiter (laughs) of this thing that to varying degrees is fans telling them like, no, we're right and you're wrong. This is a little bit different because it's not fans, it's George Takei. (laughs) Right. So we've like, Quinto is in this position of being like, I'm the gay actor, I guess I have to talk about this. Takei doesn't like it, but I think it's good. But I also don't want to invalidate Takei because he's also gay and is allowed to (laughs) think what he wants. And it's just like this very messy, weird situation that you're sort of like, it feels like it could have been avoided if they had properly addressed it at the front end with Takei. And it's also right. So there's, there's like layers of weirdness that it's happening, right? Because you have the thing where you're like, oh, easy peasy, we'll make the character the gay guy played gay. And you're like, I don't know if that's good. Yeah. <laughs> and then you also, on the flip side, right, have what we've talked about where there's this long history of fan activity around Kirk and Spock being gay or Spock yes. being queer. Yep. And that's not the path they chose to go down either, which I think would have settled better with, you know, some fans. If they made that canon, right? Yeah. And then we'll get into this, but my recollection, we have a little bit of it, is that Quinto was a little adversarial with fans who brought up shipping. He was very yeah. like, no, Spock is straight. Spock is yeah. straight. 
because I think I assume too he's a gay actor who doesn't want to say like all the characters I play are gay like if you're a gay actor right you should be able to play a straight character absolutely but also we need to take into account that he was not out when the first movie came out right so there is this sort of thing of like whatever he was asked about and discussed in the press for the first movie I'm sure he was figuring that out guarding like what to say and what not to say and then once you're on the flip side of that and you have come out I think it comes out in like 2011 or something then you also don't want to be the like I'm the poster boy gay actor and everyone I play is gay it's it's a lot it's equally awkward to do that to to Kay who expressly said yes I played this character straight you know I think we both agree that like I don't know that Gene really thought about it one way or the other and it, when we talked, you know, when we did our TOS episode, right, Gene was like, yeah, Kirk and Spock might be gay. I don't care. But what he right. could put on TV in the 60s was a totally well, different conversation. We didn't put this in here, but Takei did say that he brought up with yeah. Roddenberry at the time. What about having some gay representation? Roddenberry was like, totally wish I could do it. But like, I really don't think I can get that past anybody right now. Right. Like, we know the story of how the interracial kiss happened, right? Like, Shatner had to fuck up the alternate take, so they had to use it. That was a push. When they started the show, they told Roddenberry he could either keep his female first officer or Spock. And he had to make a decision between those two things because they couldn't get both on the air. There were limitations to making television in the 60s, which, you know. There are limitations (laughs) to making television now. That's just how it is (laughs) to make media. That's just how it is. But yeah, I think it's a little awkward to be like, we're doing this to honor you. And they're like, I don't like it. And then they're like, well, fuck you. We're doing it anyway. (laughs) Like, this seems disingenuous. I mean, it's rough because it's, I am sensitive to the fact that absolutely they wanted to put in a gay character as well they should. Mm-hmm. It is a thing that feels glaringly missing from, as Simon Pegg puts it, the most progressive yes. sci-fi franchise out there. I also don't disagree with the idea of making already known beloved characters gay or black, as we've discussed, or whatever. Like taking a mm-hmm. thing that already exists and being like, what if we just, <laughs> they don't have to be like a straight white guy. They could be something else. I think that's fair enough. You can agree or disagree with that. I don't have any problem with that that was their initial instinct. But yeah, they it's just so awkward to have it be explicitly out there that like, George, this is for you. And George is like, not for me. Don't like it. And they were like, all right, still doing it. (laughs) Like, make it Chekhov or something. Like, I don't know. Or again, like, they go out of their way. So again, they, they went out of their way to give Spock a girlfriend. So he's straight. He's not even asexual. He's not a Vulcan. Yeah. He only has sex every seven years. He's straight. Which is and then a Kirk much is, bigger issue to me than gay yeah. Sulu. Kirk is such a ridiculous horn dog throughout the first movies. He, like, can't see a woman without being like, hey, hi, how's it going? Yeah. I'm so distracted. I can't keep my eyes straight. I can't concentrate on anything. And it's like, just make Kirk pan or some shit. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like make any of them some non-straight identity that's perfectly fine but yeah the the fact that they intentionally at the beginning of it were like we know that this kirk spock thing is a thing we want to just sidestep that so it doesn't become an issue and so we'll just make spock straight in a way that doesn't make any sense for spock but okay and then what they do with Sulu is like blink and you miss it. If you had turned away from that brief moment where he rubs his partner's back, you might you'd not know like, he was gay. People would say, you know, Sulu's gay. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember that. 
So yeah, this is a lot of different issues, really, because this gets back to a thing we've complained about a hundred yeah. times at this point, where Disney or Marvel or Lucasfilm or so and so set or Pixar says we're making the first gay character in our thing, and you're like, oh, cool, how exciting, and then it's nothing, and that's exactly yeah. what this is. Right. And they also upset George Decay in the process. Yeah, that's the extra layer of like, why'd you do that part? Yeah, <laughs> it's unnecessary for what you ended up putting in. But okay, yeah. So, so that's, that's interesting, Sulu. Yes, that is sort of the more interesting conversation because there's not that much going on in a Kirk Spock context. Because what do they even have to respond to? It's not like they're gazing longingly into each other's eyes or anything. They're like, I'm straight and you're straight. I guess we work together. You're like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Good thing my girlfriend's always here to stand between us and hold my face and ask me how I'm feeling. (laughs) He's never feeling good, to be fair. Not good is how he's feeling. Okay. Should we talk about fanfiction? Yeah, let's do it. Great. Let's see first. What are the fans up to? How have they responded to this uh, new timeline? They're doing a little bit of writing. Mm -hmm. We've got 31,000 total fic in the alternate Star Trek movies tag. And 9,500 of that about is Kirk slash Spock. Now, interestingly, 7,200 of it is Kirk slash Bones. You know, we did this outline before we watched all the movies, so I'm I'm surprised there's not more Bone Spock in here when there's more material and beyond than you would imagine. But agreed, yeah, because there is like Kirk and Bones in the first movie are set up as having like a little bit of a friendly thing, but it's you know as we've said, well, there's not that much Bones in the first two no. movies, and then they, in the third one, it's all Bone Spock. They sit next together on the bus on the first day of school, and then they're best friends. Like they're five years well, old. Well, three years later, they're best friends. Yeah, but they don't. They don't show us any of that. No, just, there's uh, a time jump where everybody does whatever character development they're going to do, and it happens yeah. off camera. Three mm-hmm. years later, yeah. they're best friends. So I do think it's interesting that while Kirk Spock is the main ship of this. It mm-hmm. is pretty closely followed up by Kirk Bones. And then there were, uh, I didn't write down the number, but there were a fair few Kirk Bones Spock mm-hmm. fix. Fair enough. So I read a couple of things for this. You read a thing for this. Yes. Yeah, so the first couple of the fix were quite long. And I said, I'm not doing that. And I read. We'd the already most- asked her to do enough, really. <laughs> I read the most kudos short one, which was maybe like the third or fourth fourth most kudos yeah, somewhere in maybe there fourth but you read the first one right i did which was longer and quite mm-hmm. fun so i don't know how we want to talk about this do you want to give your brief rundown of what happened in the short one and then i'll tell you about the long one sure so the short one honestly felt kind of like the movies and that like all of a sudden they were married <laughs> it is called we should say the genetic yeah. soap opera or one of the less dignified royal weddings by wake to sleep so yeah Kirk is having a physical and Bones is like, hey, you're not aging normally. And they discover that Kirk's like great, great, great grandma or something was a Vulcan and he's part Vulcan. And oh, my God, thank goodness they've discovered this just in the nick of time because he's going into Pond Far. It's when a Vulcan must either mate, kill someone (laughs) or potentially do very intensive meditation, which might work. 
but really the, the the two primary options are mate or murder someone yes easier ones to achieve <laughs> yes and so despite the fact that spock is barely in the story except to be annoyed that kirk is part vulcan they decide to get married and then like in the last section which is very short they're just married and living together and you're like okay that about tells it what i thought was interesting about this being to me and i'm i haven't done extensive research but i guarantee you this is the case the fact that ponfar exists means there's tons and tons of fic about it i'm sure that there Mm -hmm. are many 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 in either this or regular kirk spock just like ponfar fucking fic basically like that yes. there has to be a that's a big subgenre of the star trek thing and i found it very interesting that it was in this and there was no sex and i was like yeah okay it was not explicit <laughs> yeah but yeah i mean it was a short little thing and you're just sort of like all right like it it's a if it's anything it's somebody was like oh what if he was a vulcan it was like a fun idea more than mm-hmm. anything else yeah there's not a lot going on in it no but tell me about the long one. What was going on there? I actually quite liked the long one. Okay. I was intrigued enough by the description that I started reading it and then was like, ah, I might as well finish it. So this is a, it's a kid fic, as Oh, wait, they t- say. let's say the title. It is called A Sequence That You Never Learned by Anna Taylor, which sounds like Ann Taylor, the clothing store. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the clothing store wrote it? That's what I'm wondering. <laughs> Maybe. Okay. Anyway, kid fix. So they're on a mission. They're at some planet on a regular Starfleet yeah. mission. Sure. And they're they're there to retrieve like a rogue other captain from Starfleet who they don't know what he's up to. And there's a gas. Somebody leaves like a trap thing for them to immobilize okay. them. And it's a gas. And it doesn't really hurt most of them. But of course, Jim has his weird body shit going on. So it makes him temporarily blind. And so mm. Spock leaves him in a cave to try to go resolve the situation. He gets kidnapped and put into this room with, he can't see him, but who we find out is an eight-year-old Vulcan boy. So the two of them are trapped in this room together, waiting for rescue, and they're sort of bonding as they're there. And he quite likes this kid. And then, of course, Spock shows up and rescues them. And they go back onto the ship. And it turns out that the kid is a Vulcan orphan, because there are lots of orphans post, you know, Vulcan going mm-hmm. away. And he was being transported from some place that he got kidnapped by this guy that they later find out there's someone out there like kidnapping Vulcan orphans to do something with them. And so he is supposed to go live with some uncle of his that he's never met who he doesn't like and he doesn't want to go. And mm-hmm. he and Jim are getting closer and closer as he's hanging out on the ship with them. And Jim decides if he wants it, what if I adopt him? And then he doesn't have to go be unwanted somewhere with his guy that he doesn't know and we really like each other anyway and so spock is like if you want to do this sure i'll help you figure out how to do it and of course the only way he can think of to make it work is that they will get married because it's an unusual situation for some human to want to adopt a vulcan and take him along on a starfleet ship (laughs) so the two cases where he would be allowed to adopt the kid is if they have bonded with each other or if he's married to a vulcan because then he can get vulcan citizenship Mm -hmm. so Spock offers this and Jim's like, great, let's totally do it. They become this little family. But of course, they're not talking about their feelings for each other because Jim thinks Spock has only agreed because he's like a really good friend. (laughs) 
<laughs> and Spock, you know, is like, well, I'm doing this as a favor for him and he really wants this kid, but he doesn't like me. But of course, they're both secretly pining for each other the whole time. And they get really close. There's a running plot in it that's actually pretty interesting where Jim starts getting these messages from someone and he doesn't know who the person is, but they keep pointing him to information about whoever it was that kidnapped them originally. And then okay. we get to a point where the kid is injured and they find out that he and Jim are actually bonded because when the kid is injured, Jim feels his injury. And so now that they are bonded, Spock's like, I guess we don't have to be married anymore because they'll let you keep him since you're bonded. And Jim's like, I guess if you don't want to be married to me, we don't have to be married. And they <laughs> decide to get divorced because they're both so awkward. Meanwhile, he's yeah. been complaining to Bones the whole thing about how he's so in love with Spock and Spock will never notice him. And so they do get divorced. And then the plot stuff all comes to a head where it turns out that the rogue Starfleet captain was someone who had this past life where he did crimes, but he had grown out of it before he went to Starfleet. Then the guy who he used to do crimes with is now forcing him into this thing to kidnap all the Vulcans. So he's been leaving clues mm. to try to get the Enterprise to come and kill the guy so that they can rescue all of the Vulcan orphans, which they do. They find the guy, they rescue all of the Vulcan orphans. And then meanwhile, the kid who loves both Kirk and Spock and wants them all to be a family is so annoyed that Kirk won't tell Spock how he feels. And so he finally just sort of pushes them together and Spock finds out that Kirk actually has feelings for him. And then they're about to hook up when all of the action plot stuff goes down. So they rescue it they realize they're in love with each other they decide to get married again for real and then all of the starfleet people come and make fun of them at their wedding because it's really fun to make fun of kirk and spock and uh, happily ever after ensues okay it was very fun it's interesting because obviously the backstory stuff is all the kelvin timeline you know mm -hmm. vulcan is gone and all the things that we saw happen or what happened but their characterization feels like mostly like original series mm. Kirk and Spock because and when you watch these movies I cannot imagine Spock deciding to help Kirk adopt a child they seem like they hardly no. know each other whereas yeah. it's your we make a good team don't we yeah, yeah. And you're like okay <laughs> whereas the original ones they feel like they're each other's person like I feel like on Kirk and Spock are each other's person whether or not they're together or you know yeah. Spock is asexual or whatever if you had an issue Kirk would go to Spock and Spock would go to Kirk and so it's sort of if you're in that headspace you're like all right I get that Spock is like let's make this happen for you you love this kid we'll we'll figure we'll it, it out it's the logical they, thing to yeah, do it's the logical thing to do because somebody's got to take care of this orphan Vulcan it was very precious and the kid was cute and they had a lovely relationship. I like that the plot of the story spun something out of the fact that they destroyed Vulcan as opposed to this film series, which is like, I guess that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Probably nothing comes barely, of that, right? Barely figures into any of the subsequent no, stories. No, I actually, part of what I liked about it, aside from like how cute the relationship and kid mm -hmm. fix stuff was, is there is an overarching plot that actually works where... Yeah. You're getting clues and they, they're going on cases and then maybe something has to do with the overarching thing. And then it all comes together at the end. And you're like, oh, look at that. A plot that makes sense. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Good job, Anna Taylor. Maybe you should have written the sequel. It's an idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, but that was fun. Good. Yeah. So fanfic 
where fans love it. But how does Zachary Quinto feel about it? That's going to be my transition. Yes. We don't have too much like creator fan interaction. Again, I think we've talked about many, many times before, right? This is a movie series. So it's the nexus of fan creator interaction is a little less clear because who knows like when things are getting made yeah star trek 4 for instance has been in production maybe kind of sort of since 2016 so i don't know yeah that anyone has the opportunity to be like hey maybe you should do this but as we were saying like i think zachary quinto at least early on had a pretty adversarial relationships with uh fans Again, this is like mostly my just recollection. We found a little bit, but not as much as I remember of him being like, Spock is straight. I'm playing a straight character. Stop talking to me about shipping Kirk and Spock. Yeah. That's not what this is. And I always felt like, bro, you're coming into something that's existed for 50 years. Yeah. Like, like people are going to ship Kirk get and Spock. Get on board. Kirk and Spock. <laughs> yeah. You don't know as much about this world as we do. Trust me. So like. What are you talking about? Yeah. But anyway, we do have a couple of quotes from him. So I guess this was what what where is this first quote from? This was at like well, a this was someone meeting? I think all of this stuff comes from yeah. cons and the like. But the first quote is sort of I guess sort of offhand from him where someone had mentioned mm. fan fiction and like what did he think of it? And he says, I'm afraid I have better things to do with my time than read that. If those people don't have anything better to do, that's their business. But I do, which is like very flippant. Okay. And yes. people were very pretty dismissive. upset about it. So then, of course, he got asked about it. Would you like to clarify your comments, basically? Because <laughs> people are very mad. And so then he did try to give like a more measured response. Mm-hmm. And this is what he came up with. Oh, the first quote is from Ireland, as he's about to say. Yes. <laughs> So he said, what happened in Ireland was I was giving an interview and somebody asked me about fan fiction. And I said something that some people have misinterpreted as disrespectful. And so I would like to say here for the record that I meant no disrespect for people who either write or read fan fiction. I have absolutely no interest in it. It doesn't interest me. I understand how it interests other people. I respect their desire to be interested in it. (laughs) I think both Kirk and Spock and definitely me and Chris are only good friends. Any suggestion otherwise has more to say about the person making the suggestion than it does about the characters. There's a lot here. This is pretty interesting. I kind of like I understand how it interests other people. I respect their desire to be interested in it. It's really good. I feel like that's a a little bit of shades of Kelsey from the beginning of this podcast. Like, what are people doing with this? I respect your right to be interested in it. I do. (laughs) Of course I do. get it. But But not for me. Of course he has to get to this place of like Kirk and Spock are not gay. Definitely me and Chris. Okay. I think we're on his wave like here. Yes. Definitely you and Chris are not together. We get it. We're yeah. not here for the real person shipping. We never are. We never are. You are absolutely right to set up your boundaries about that. Mm-hmm. Although also weird because we read a whole interview with him in GQ. Was it, it was in GQ? so no, it was for like out magazine or something like oh, that. Yeah. It was for a gay publication. And it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen because Quinto had been on the cover of it before. And then they were having a cover with pine and then they did an interview with quinto about pine's cover 
which is so strange. And it was just them yeah. asking questions about like, did he ask you advice about what to do? And he was like, no, he knows how to be in a photo shoot. Did you talk about this? Because I guess the whole point of it was like, it's so interesting that this straight actor is on the cover of our thing. But then right. at the end, it just devolved into like, tell us about your friendship. How do you guys feel about each other? Tell me some new words for the blue color of his eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Describe his eyes to us. And you're like, like, this is really weird. This is so strange. But anyway, that's a digression. But yeah, the Kirk and Spock are only good friends. Any suggestion otherwise has more to say about the person making it than about the characters is a little bit judgy, my friend. And maybe yes. in your movies, there's not a lot of stuff to go on, which, which I true. do agree with. But I think it's a bit much to say that people who ship Kirk and Spock from like legacy Kirk and Spock are just entirely imagining the whole thing when that hasn't really been the the position of the people who made original series yes. Kirk and Spock. Which again, see our whole original series episode, we get into it, Roddenberry, Shatner, other creators, the quotes, they acknowledge like, yeah, these two people might be in love. And once again, right, it is the slap in the face of someone who clearly does not have a background in Trek coming in and being like, I know about this. You guys are all weirdos. How do yeah. you, to be a fan of this thing? Gross. But yeah, I'm in the movie. Right. <laughs> So yeah, again, I think we've said enough at this point. He's been in weird position all throughout this, given personal things with him. So eh, we'll give him a little yeah. grace, but this is pretty funny. <laughs> it's wild. Okay. That's everything, That's I think. everything. There can't possibly be more to say. We've gone on and on. No. Let's ask the question then of, is it queer baiting, queer coding, or queer canon? No, none? Yeah, I agree with you. It's none. <laughs> Sulu is queer canon, I guess, at this Sulu point, barely. Canon. But Kirk and Spock are not even queer coded. No. I said to you before we did this, Kirk and Spock of these movies are markedly less queer than Kirk and Spock of the original series. Yes. The film has gone out of its way to make Spock as straight as possible. And not even in a way where it's like they are continuing to do all of the same stuff with Kirk and Spock, but they give him a no homo lady. It's like there's yeah. not much queer anything going on in this movie text or yeah. subtext but if you gender swap them would they be a couple who are we gender swapping and is spock still dating uhura good question i mean i guess if we want to leave spock dating uhura let's gender swap kirk then no i don't think so he's dating uhura <laughs> but you don't think that she would get in there and try to break him up would that work? I, I mean, I, here's I mean, the problem. Do I, don't understand the I don't understand the dynamics of the Spock or her relationship to begin with. So I'm not sure what Spock would don't be interested the in. the dynamics of the Spock-Kirk relationship. So it's very hard to tell. I, I don't. I don't. Know. I just I don't think this question is super applicable when we don't think there's much like canon yeah. tension between them to begin with. And also, I've said it to you off the podcast. What happened to Spock's fiance? Is she just dead? Is, it's an alternate betrothed? universe. She's was dead. She, what happened before Vulcan got destroyed, though? Because, like, the marriage agreements are between prominent families. It's logical. He would be yeah. engaged to someone. Well, you're absolutely right. But I think we're, it's, I mean, he is dating Ahura before that. I was like, once she is probably dead on Vulcan, we don't have to worry about it. But before that, he is dating Ahura. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't make any sense for him to be dating anyway. What are we supposed to believe? Uh, yeah. that's, that's the real problem. Yeah. Okay. So, why isn't it canon? Because these guys aren't interested in character to begin with, much less the relationship between Kirk and Spock. Correct. 
How do we feel about the queer baiting on zero. a scale of one to five? Oh, one. Five being unrepentant about, yeah. malicious queer baiting, one being, I don't know what these fans are talking about, definite one. It's a definite Except one. that we do know what they're talking about because yes. of Kirk Spock existing. Right. It's an aggressive choice towards the lifelong fans. Yeah. I don't know. But it's an alternate reality. And it's an alternate reality they're where they're straight. Straight as hell. <laughs> they're alpha males, you know? <laughs> Meanwhile, Ambassador Spock is over here in this world being like, when are they going to fall in love? What's going on? I didn't want to tell myself that he was going to fall in love with him, but like, I'm dating her. That's <laughs> so strange. <laughs> he hasn't processed that this alternate version of himself is straight. That's rough. It's a lot for him to handle. Yeah. <laughs> Bummer. That's a fun fic idea, actually. Bog <laughs> for Heim coming to terms with the fact that his alternate self is straight and will not fall in love with Kirk. Why won't he just see that they would be so good for each other? He's still dating Uhura? <laughs> That's good. Somebody write that. Yeah. Or tell us if that exists already. Shoot, yeah. shoot that over to us. Okay. Well, do you feel like you've gotten everything off your chest that you needed to get off I your mean, chest? I mean, no, but I got a lot off of it. And I, I like I said, we, we've done enough. I don't need to talk endlessly about all of the problems I have with this movie. But, oh, I could do a scene-by-scene breakdown, y'all. <laughs> If anybody wants that, go ahead and let us know. What are we talking about next time? Well, we're taking you back to the seas. Ooh, so exciting. <laughs> we love the seas. So we've spent some time talking about pirates. And mm -hmm. we were like, we got to get back there. The seas of the Americas. Oh, I can't wait to return to the seas of the <laughs> Americas. And also it's a period thing. Love Very it. exciting. Any more details than that that we could share? No. You'll just have to wait a couple months to find out what we're doing in the seas of the America. <laughs> in the meantime, if you do have comments, questions, concerns, you can reach out to us at ltbkpod at gmail.com. We are on Twitter and Tumblr at ltbkpod. And if you're enjoying the podcast, tell a friend, subscribe, leave us a review. The next episode will be out in September, wherever you get your podcasts.